Welcome to The Career Studio, a USU career services podcast that helps you navigate your career path. Thanks for joining us for our Friday face-to-face episode. I'm Marissa Armistead, your host, and I'm so excited to have Andrea DeHaan here with me today. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me, Marissa. I am just honored to be here today. Andrea worked as an educator for over 10 years before moving to Utah, where she transitioned to nonprofit outreach and development. She worked for several arts organizations, including the Nora Eccles Harrison Museum of Art at USU, before coming to her current role with CHAZ, the College of Humanities and Social Sciences here at USU. She now works as the outreach coordinator for the college and oversees recruitment and alumni engagement. She also participates in college programming aimed at creating networking, mentoring, and career exploration opportunities for current students. So Andrea, you mentioned that you are a lover of music and you even had a brief gig as DJ Mitochondria at a bar in <laughs> Athens, Ohio. So first of all, I have to ask what kind of music is, is your preference? And then two, how did you find yourself DJ? Well, so I do love music and I would say I have, I think I have broad taste. And then, then I think when you ask someone, they're like, oh no, I don't like that. But I really love trip hop, electronica, shoegaze. I mean, I'm a child of the eighties and the nineties. So I like eighties pop rock. I like nineties hip hop. Yes. Um, but you know, I also like the synth pop that reemerged in the two thousands. So, I mean, I, you know, I like a lot of things. And to answer your second question about how I got that gig, I mean, it's a bit of an overstatement. Really, I was my friend's assistant. So she has a background in sound engineering and an amazing record collection. And she asked me if I would come and do these DJ nights with her at a local restaurant and bar. And we played dub music, which if you don't know, is sort of where reggae and electronica intersect. And that's what my friend Kelly was into. And I was into it at the time. And But really, it was like her choosing most of the set and me like every fifth song saying, oh, we should play this next. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it so much. (laughs) Well, sometimes I I tell people this, sometimes um, the fun facts really have this beautiful transition into what we talk about. And other times I'm not nearly as creative. Today is one of those not as creative days. So we'll just dive into this month's theme, but I love getting to know people a little bit outside of the, the professional setting. So this month we are really diving into this conversation about career non negotiables. And to start off this conversation, I'd really love to hear more about some of your early on experiences right out of college. So if you don't mind, we'll rewind back to your earlier days. Um, You had just finished your uh, degree in English and German, and then you went on to become an educator and and you were in that field for quite a while. So I'm curious what initially fueled your interest, I guess, in teaching. I think, honestly, I initially saw teaching as my default profession because in addition to being a double major in English and German, I was a minor in creative writing. I don't believe my college offered creative writing as a major at the time. And so it was my minor. And I've been writing poetry since I was in high school. And when you hear the words poetry in high school, that should sort of tell you about the quality of poetry that I was writing. But I really fashioned myself a poet. But even I sort of understood that poets in America don't really earn a living wage. So I think I was initially drawn to teaching because I thought I'd be a college professor in all honesty. And I, by all means, I now really value those skills I gained in creative writing classes and then also through a graduate degree in creative writing. So I'm by no means knocking that. I love creative writing. I'm passionate about it. And it has made me a really effective communicator. That said, at the time, I was like, how am I going to pay the bills? I'm going to be a college professor. But, you know, life takes you in other directions. And because I had that other interest in German... And had lived in Germany on a study abroad, I just became obsessed with the idea of going back to Germany, 
living in Europe, living the dream far away. And while I was there, started doing some translations. I wasn't teaching English yet, but then through a series of events, I was accepted into the Fulbright teaching assistantship program. And so that was actually my first experience was teaching English as an assistant in a German elementary school classroom. And it just sort of became a series of events where one thing led to another. I taught ESL for a number of years before coming back to the States and found myself in Athens, Ohio with a partner who was going to school there at the time and decided to pursue my master's in education, which I want to be candid about. I did not complete, but I did complete my licensure, went on to teach for a number of years. I thought I'd have to teach, then did other things, and then came back to teaching because I actually really found something in it that I enjoyed at the time and then pursued for a number of years. That's so interesting. And so one thing that this makes me think of is this conversation of passion. And sometimes, you know, people say, you know, follow your passion when it comes to careers. And I think that's incredibly vague. And for like 99% of the human population, I think that's not a very great answer. There is that small percentage of people who truly, I think, are born with like this innate sense of this is what I need to do. But for you, it was kind of a trial and error piece. It sounds like you kind of tried out teaching and tried some different parts of teaching and that kind of led to the next step. But then luckily you found out you did enjoy that. And so that's really interesting. On the topic of non-negotiables, I'm curious, were there any aspects of teaching that drew you in just outside of I have a degree, therefore I'm going to get this job. Were there benefits of the lifestyle or the work style that you really appreciated? I'd love to hear about that. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think the greatest thing about teaching is that there is sort of this instant gratification, right? In a lot of jobs that those of us in office environments find ourselves doing, yes, if we're fortunate to work with programming and projects, we do see those fulfilled and we get to reap the rewards of knowing we did a good job on X event or X project. But there's usually many steps along the way and you're working collaboratively with a lot of people and you might only be responsible for one part. And so you can't always see entirely or at least linearly sort of how your contribution resulted in the goal at the end. But when you're teaching, in most situations, you are teaching by yourself. I mean, you may have a room full of students, but you're the expert in the room. And whether or not that information that you're trying to convey is communicated to them and then reciprocated from those students back to you, you see instantly whether you're doing your job correctly, right? And it does require constant course correction because you can see when things are not landing and you have to pivot and you have to change. But if something's going really well, it's an amazing feeling because you don't have to wait months or weeks to see that something paid off, you can see right then and there, oh my goodness, I made a connection with these students and this is great. So that was definitely on the benefit side. The other benefit that I certainly liked about it, (laughs) I'm not going to lie, but I loved having summers off. I mean... (laughs) Who wouldn't? I do think it's a trade-off because teachers work really hard for the other months of the year. And if you divided up the hours per 52 weeks, you're probably working more than 40 hours a week, even with the summers off. But I did really enjoy having the summers off and being able to travel and take that break from work before coming back to the, the next school year. So that was something I enjoyed about it as well. It's fun to hear from your perspective, you did it for so many years. It's it's fun to hear what really stood out to you. And I also really want to stay on this thread of pivoting because I think especially with COVID-19 in mind, I think this is such a crucial skill. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into this pivoting. At what point did you know teaching wasn't the right fit anymore? And how did you make that pivot there? So I'd love to hear about that. 
So, and I want to be clear that this is my experience and my opinion, because I know we'll have potentially students who listen to this who are thinking about a career in education, and I don't want to discourage anyone. But for me personally, initially when I was teaching English as a second language, and I sort of set my own schedule, and I had small class sizes, and the preparation going into those things wasn't massive, it felt very manageable. But once I was licensed to teach English in high schools in the United States and started down that road, I found that it just was not a good fit for my personality. When you talk about career non-negotiables, right, I wish that I had sort of thought about that going in. But I think, unfortunately, in a lot of teacher training programs, there is, you don't really get into the classroom until the end, or even your observations are kind of near the, the end of your program, not at the beginning. And I think that it's hard to get a realistic picture of what it looks like. And now as someone who works with career professionals like yourself, I wish I'd done some job shadowing or had fully understood what it entailed because as much as I loved that connection with the students that I talked about earlier and having an impact on them, I hated grading and planning and preparing and always feeling like I could never do enough because the stakes are high, right? (laughs) It's a child that depends on you at some level for their basic learning. But the reality is sometimes they're depending on you for their basic needs. It depends on the school that you're in. But I had situations where I had students who came to school hungry. And I had to like sneak them snacks on the downloads that I wasn't like calling them out in front of other kids, but nevertheless, like making sure they had enough food. So you're kind of being a parent and a teacher and a comedian and an entertainer. And I really liked those things. I'm an extrovert and I'm a caring person. But then to take all the energy that I had to put into that and be expected to come home and spend hours doing the paperwork and the correspondence with parents. And it it just felt like it never ended. And I think it, it really does depend on your personality. If you are a perfectionist like I am and you can't let things go and you're not good at setting limits and say, I've done enough, it's okay that that didn't get done. Yeah, then you're probably gonna be able to say, it's four o'clock, I've been here since seven, I'm off work now. But I just found myself working around the clock until after several years of doing it, I felt completely burnt out. And when I moved to Utah, I thought, yeah, it's time for a change. And I, I really want to express my appreciation for you sharing these things. And I think you make a really great point that, you know, every person is going to have a different experience. But I really appreciate you sharing this experience that you had, because I think there are many people who might be in that same boat of thinking about, say, education, but they've never gone into a classroom, or at least it's been a few years since they've been in an elementary school classroom. So I appreciate you sharing those insights. And as a career coach, can't hammer home enough how much I really think informational interviews and job shadowing, it's like an internship, but you only have to commit to a couple of hours, right, to get a taste of what the field is like. So can't support that thought enough. I'm also curious, again, as we're we're talking about some of these different values and priorities, how have they shifted over the course of the years? Because I know, you know, early on in your career, there's probably certain things that really matter, like paychecks to make sure we can cover bills or potentially some titles that are involved. But I'd love to hear what are some of the values or some of those career non-negotiables that have shifted over time for you? Well, I would say I actually think I went into it maybe a bit more backward because when I was younger, I don't think I was thinking about paychecks or benefits (laughs) or titles. I was someone who felt very... 
I mean, I don't know if idealistic is the right word, but I definitely went into work feeling like it was important for me to do something that mattered, that I wanted to do something where I felt like I was making a difference and, you know, to borrow the phrase, not just working for the man, right? That I was actually like doing something meaningful. And so I was, you know, initially drawn very early on to nonprofits or to education or something like that, because I think a lot of things have shifted, right? I think you can absolutely work for a corporation and do very meaningful work and make a difference in the world. But I think we also live in an era right now where companies put their values and their mission statement right on their website for you to find. And you can get a sense for what their corporate culture looks like before you even apply. But when I graduated from college (laughs) or was working in my first jobs during college in the 90s, I mean, the internet existed, but like you couldn't, it was much harder to find out what a company was really like. And so you had to, maybe you didn't have to, but I at least found myself, you know, you put categories onto companies. And so I sort of saw something like nonprofits or universities or schools as places that I thought would align with my values. So that was sort of an early non-negotiable. I don't think that's changed. I think that's still true for me. But I think it's actually that it then came later that I started to realize like, well, just because I'm doing meaningful work doesn't mean I don't deserve to be paid for it. And I should be asking the difficult questions of what are other people who are doing the same job getting paid? And what should I be asking for when I go into that interview? So I think it's actually that reckoning of thinking about titles and paychecks that you know came after. I didn't let go of my ideals by any means, but learned that ideals and getting paid for your work don't have to be at odds with one another or shouldn't be at odds with one another. Absolutely. And I don't think that's a backwards way to look at it or go about it at all. And in fact, as you were sharing that, I think that's how a lot of people approach it. We know that we're going to be spending years and years of our lives in work. And so we want it to be meaningful. But I love that you've kind of come to this and it can be meaningful and I can I can be fairly compensated for that work. So I really love that. And I love those insights about kind of adding as you go, because I don't think you always start out with a ton of non negotiable. So really appreciate that. Back to your career timeline. So you spent a lot of time in nonprofit sectors, especially in the arts arena. You you did arts education coordinator, administrative coordinator, administrative and events coordinator. And I, I can't help but notice the word coordinator in a lot of these different position titles. So I'm curious, what part of this coordination, why do you love that element of the job? Because it's, it's apparent that you've always looked for that in a job. Well, when I was a little kid, one of my favorite books, I can't remember the title of it. And I've even tried looking for it online. Someday I'll find it. But I had a book that followed a little girl as she went throughout her day. And it sort of started from the time she woke up to how she brushed her teeth to what she ate for breakfast, to how she played outside and how she cleaned her toys afterward, you know, all these things. And clearly, you know, it was intended to teach children about routines and following rules and participating in quote unquote, you know, good behavior. But I mean, boy, did it stick. I mean, I am just someone who loves routines and that, I mean, that's weird to say, but I really like routines, which I think makes me an excellent coordinator because it is about 
establishing patterns that you can apply to things over and over again to ensure that you have success and not as much stress along the way. It's maybe less attractive when someone has to live with you during the pandemic and you're very bad at deviating from your routine and you want things done a certain way. But, you know, coordination does involve a lot of moving parts and trying to figure out how they can all fit together in a fluid way. It involves coordinating people as well. So it involves people skills. And I really like working with other people and collaborating with other people and playing upon their strengths and using my strengths as well to help us all achieve a common project or have a successful event. So I think that's probably why I'm drawn to those things. I also think that I struggle sometimes with idea generation, which is why I like collaborating with people because I need people to bounce ideas off of and to help me come up with sort of big picture thinking because personality wise, I'm in the weeds. So I have the details covered, but I might need help with a larger scope project. So yeah, I like being in charge of the details and the routines, but I also like the fact that I get to work with people along the way to make something happen together. Andrea, it's so funny as you're saying these things, I feel like I might be actually on the opposite spectrum as you're saying details and following through consistency, all qualities that I wish I had more of, in fact, but I fall typically on the end of, I could give you a hundred different ideas and I think they're all great, but that consistency piece is so crucial. And so I appreciate when I can collaborate with people like you who do have those innate skills of consistency, repetition, finding patterns. So I guess I'm just highlighting this to show different people have different strengths. That's something as a career coach, we talk a lot about is, you know, what, what do you naturally do well? And so I love that you're highlighting these different things that you do well and how you found them in work. And, and we know that when we use our strengths, we're more likely to be joyful and, and happy at work. So anyways, I'm, I'm going off on a little bit of a strengths tangent here, but I love that you're highlighting the strengths that you've used in the workplace. So I'd love to move into a conversation about your current position. And I guess I'd really like to know what were some of the things that you were looking for as far as must-haves or a must-not-haves in your job that you have currently? So my current position, Marissa, I was interested in it for a number of reasons. I knew a lot of people already in the college. I knew that it was, at least I perceived it to be a really positive work environment, which is definitely a career non-negotiable for me. Nothing will get me out of a job faster than infighting on the team or people feeling like they have to air their gripes about work consistently on the daily and it's just a pervasive negative atmosphere. So going into Chas, everyone I knew who worked for Chas had great things to say about Chas. So that was really important to me to know that I'd be going into a potentially positive work environment. I was also transitioning from a non-exempt, which which I should I should back up to say, which is not to say that my previous work environment wasn't positive, but rather to say that like that was something that I needed to maintain, right? That I just can't tolerate working in a place where people are complaining all the time or everyone hates the boss and sneers behind their back. I just really don't do well in those kind of environments. The other non-negotiable for me was I was moving from a non-exempt to an exempt position, which we won't go into the details of, but for people not familiar with the sort of HR terminology, you're basically kind of moving from a kind of an hourly position to a salaried position. And so it comes with additional vacation benefits in terms of how you accrue time. And it also gives you more flexibility in terms of how you structure your workday as opposed to having to be at work 
40 hours every single week, you have a bit more leeway to say, well, this week I was at work for 38 hours and next week I'll be at work for 42 hours. And that's another thing that for me, I think is really important. And I don't want to sound flip because I am absolutely a hardworking person. I think I'm an incredibly loyal employee, but I really value my time away from work. And it's really important for me to have the autonomy to make decisions about when I prioritize getting work done because I'm working on a deadline and when I'm able to say to a friend, oh yeah, I can go to lunch today. That would be really nice. It'd be great to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. So I really liked when I was applying for this position, knowing that I'd be going into a position that would give me greater flexibility around how I structure my time and would also through that and also through the structure of the position, give me greater autonomy. And autonomy is something you see people, career satisfaction surveys talk about a lot, but it's really important for employees to feel like they have agency when they're making decisions about their work and they're being trusted to do their work and do it well. And yes, they're getting feedback and yes, people are collaborating with them, but they're also being left alone to do their job. And that's really important for me as well. Absolutely. And I totally agree that there's something about having that innate sense of trust within an organization that you you will get done what you say you will get done. And when people abide by that, it builds that sense of autonomy and you know your boss isn't looking over your shoulder. And just like you said, for so many people, I think that's such a great non-negotiable to have. So I really appreciate you sharing that. I want to ask a slightly invasive question, I guess. So I'm curious, looking back at other jobs, have you ever left a position because of a conflict of interest, maybe between the position or the company and your personal non-negotiables or values? And then also, how did you navigate that? Well, I mentioned earlier that a negative work environment is really difficult for me. And I had a job... I think I was, I maybe made it two weeks. I think it was between some summer when I was home from college for the summer and I got a job evaluating essays that had been written for state proficiency tests, right? So those tests that you have to take when you're in elementary school and high school, most of which are on some giant bubble sheet that's graded by a machine. But of course, then there's a writing portion and someone has to grade that writing portion. And so I was in a team that was grading those essays. And, you know, the company had done a lot to try to get around the monotony of that kind of job. And it wasn't, I I mean, I think the monotony would have gotten to me eventually. But I think what got to me first was just how negative everyone there was, maybe because the monotony had gotten to them and they were just so, you know, in such utter despair about it. But I just found it really hard to be at a place, even if it's not so much about negativity in terms of complaints or infighting, but just like unhappiness. Like, I just have found it very hard to be in environments where people are not excited to be at work and to go to work. And of course, we all have bad days. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm a pretty sarcastic person. It's not like I'm Miss Chipper 100% of the time. (laughs) We all have to let off steam. I always want to be in a job where I enjoy my job most of the time. And that enjoyment and happiness is going to outweigh the times when I'm frustrated or when I'm feeling like, ugh, I don't want to go to work today right? I feel like you know in your gut when you're in a job, when you get to the point where you're having more days where you're dreading going to work and more days where you're thinking about how horrible it's going to be before you even get there, it's probably time to go. 
So yeah, that's, that's a long way of saying that you've got to have some fun at your, when you're at work and you have to enjoy the work you do and you have to be surrounded by people who also enjoy the work they do. And if you're not, you really have to look elsewhere. I think those are great insights. And and you actually answered part of the question I was going to ask next, which is sometimes we come into a job, a brand new job, lots of enthusiasm. We're really excited to to get going. Everything sounds great and and hunky-dory. And then, you know, two weeks later, the excitement starts to maybe fizzle out. And so part of that question, I guess, is how do we decipher whether we should be quitting or whether we should just stick with it a little bit longer, which I think is what you were just getting at. But I guess a follow-up question I have with that is how can we try and be a little bit more engaged with the job that maybe has become a little bit routine, a little bit too boring. Would you have any suggestions for how we might uh, spice things up in a sense? I think that you should start, of course, by looking and saying like, why am I frustrated? Like step back and reevaluate. And if the people around you appear to be happy and you're unhappy, maybe there is something that you could change in terms of your workflow or how it is you're going about the various processes you have for a particular project or a particular thing that you're working on. Because maybe changing that could actually give you greater job satisfaction because maybe you're stressed because you're not getting things done in the way you'd like to get them done. Or maybe you're stressed because you've siloed yourself and you're not asking for help. And through reevaluation, you might realize, oh, well, I've got a good handle on this, but I actually need help with this. Asking for help can sometimes be a scary thing to do, but it gives you an opportunity to engage with others and to get assistance and ideas from them. And that could actually potentially get you re-energized around a particular project. So I think, you know, making sure that you're connecting with other people to help yourself through a period of frustration or stagnation is a good starting point. And that could also involve going to other people like your boss or management to ask for other projects because stagnation and and frustration doesn't just come from times when you're stressed or frustrated. You might also be frustrated because you're bored. So if you reach a point, and this I think can happen a lot too with people early in their careers. So students from USU who are graduating and getting their first jobs, they might potentially have jobs that are not super exciting. I mean, hopefully they're not reading the same fourth grade essay over (laughs) and over and over again, but they may have a job that's pretty rote. And there is a level of, okay, I have to get through this. I need to earn a name for myself. I can't just work this job for two weeks and quit. Like this job is important because I need the money or this job is important because I need it as a stepping stone on my resume. Sometimes you do have to find your way through less exciting work. But if you can then use that to capitalize upon it and say to your boss, look, I've got this down. I fully understand this. What else can I help you with? Or just putting your hand up when someone says, I'm working on this, da, 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 and saying, oh, actually, I've done something similar to that in the past. Could I help you with that? So I think finding opportunities for connection and collaboration can be a really great way to change things up and get re-engaged with your work. Now, of course, if you try those strategies and you're still not happy, then it might, again, it might be time to look around. You can't necessarily get through everything that way, but I think it's a good way to at least step back and figure out what can I change? What can I do? Who can I work with? How can I make this better? And if it works, great. I love all of those insights and I kind of want to break down each one. It's really interesting. A lot of them are are the exact things we actually recommend as career services to students. And one of them is in that very first step of reframing from I'm stuck in this job 
to good enough for now. And, and so you kind of hit on this piece of stick with it, pay the bills, hit those things. You know, if, if it's an immediate, I have to stay here. So I really appreciated that. I also really liked your approach of kind of evaluating the external and internal factors going on at play, right? So is the work environment contributing and maybe that's really the issue you're having? Or is it something a little bit deeper? Are you not feeling fulfilled based on the actual work? So I really love those. And then you take it even a step further, which I love it. And you talk about asking for more, asking for different pieces. Can I test these things out? Very similar to a job shadow. Maybe you don't want to shift a complete career, but maybe you're like, I want to test it out. So adding a small project onto your plate, say you're a career coach, but you want to learn a little bit more about podcasting, for example, ask if you can start a little podcast. And that's, I guess, a bigger example, but just adding little pieces and getting that experience, I think is such a great suggestion because it gives you that chance to try something out before fully committing. And if you like it and you're good at it, then maybe you take a deeper plunge later. But I really love those steps that you just walked us through. I think they're so key as we are evaluating our our current situation and and figuring out what steps we want to take next. So Andrea, we're almost out of time, but I do want to make sure we get to this final question, which is if you could offer one piece of advice about determining career non-negotiables for our listeners, what would it be? Well, I'm going to go back to my personality and what I said before about routines. And as someone who likes routines, I really like making lists. As silly as it may feel, I think it's important to go into a job interview or maybe you're already in a job and you're going to ask for a change of responsibilities or you're going to ask for a raise. I think it's good to go into those things with a list. Like know before you go in what are the things that I want to accomplish? What are the things I have to accomplish? What are the things I'd like to accomplish? You know, like sort of setting a gradient of like, this has to change or else I can't move forward versus it'd be great if this changed. If it doesn't, I could live with it, right? Versus this isn't really that important to me. Uh, It'd be a nice side benefit, but it doesn't really matter, right? So categorizing those things and figuring out really what is important to you. I think you do have to weigh those things as you would other life decisions where you're weighing the pros and cons and you're looking as well, you know, you use the words before internally and externally. I mean, look at your own personality, look at your own work habits, look at your own strengths and figure out what are the things you need to feel fulfilled in a position and try to capitalize on those versus the things that might not be as important right now that you could set aside. I think you just have to be honest with yourself about what you like and what you don't like. And I think that's an important thing and a hard conversation sometimes to have with yourself when you're looking for a job, especially if you're starting out trying to get your first job, or maybe you've been out of work for a while and you feel a bit desperate about getting a job. And I'm not going to say there, of course, there are times when people just have to take a job. I I understand that can be crucial. But I think sometimes we brush into things because we get caught up in the idea of having this job or this title or making something happen right now. And in hindsight, if we had looked at the job description or if we had asked certain questions during the interview, we would have realized going into it, this is not going to be a good fit. So, so basically that's me babbling (laughs) for three minutes when really what I should say is just do your research, know thyself and make a list. 
I think that's such great advice, Andrea, and especially as students move forward and, you know, maybe looking at graduation and all of that coming up. I think that's such great advice to do your research, know yourself, and also know the companies that you're looking at. So, Andrea, it has been a pleasure as always. I loved having you on the show. And before we go today, I do want to just put in a little bit of a plug. Andrea has such great information and events to share, especially with our CHAS students. So if you're interested, go ahead and check out her digital takeout around the world Wednesdays, uh, pre-law events so much great media and content that she's putting out there for students. So you can find more information about those events in our link below. But again, Andrea, I just want to say thank you. It's been a pleasure to have you. And it's been a pleasure to be a guest. Thank you so much, Marissa. This was fun. Thanks for joining us here at the Queer Studio today. Please join us next week as we continue to discuss this month's theme of determining career non-negotiables. 